Assalamu alaikum rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Today's podcast is brought to you by IslamicLens.com, a website devoted to addressing a wide range of critical issues. Because whether you're aware of this or not, the Muslims today as a whole are suffering from a massive intellectual void. So this website is an attempt to chip away at this void idea by idea. Now, the title of today's podcast is, quote, a religion that all Muslims must be aware of. Now, I know this sounds like a scare tactic, but the truth is it is. It is a scare tactic because this topic is extremely important. This religion is relatively new. It's only about a couple hundred years old. But in the last 20 years, it's gained tremendous speed and momentum, so much so that Muslims are now being swayed and seduced by this new religion. Another way to put it is this new religion's ideas and values are slowly changing Muslims' ideas and values. And this is unfortunately happening worldwide, but especially to those Muslims living in Western countries like the U.S. That is why we must study and understand this new religion's core ideas. And we figure the best way to do this is through a point-by-point comparison in which we look at what Islam says versus what this new religion says. And through this point-by-point comparison, we hope to bring awareness to the damage this new religion's ideas are doing to the Muslim mind. Now, before I start this comparison, let me just preface a couple things. A, this new religion, like all religions, has a wide range of ideas across several topics. And if we were to discuss all the topics, this podcast would be way too long. So, instead, we're just going to focus on a few ideas that, in my opinion, are really damaging Muslims full force. Uh, And B, I just want to say that some of these ideas are adult and topic, so I guess this podcast is rated PG-13 or or PG-18 or whatever, so I'm warning you in advance. All right, let's first start with the topic of looking at a woman. I suppose I should say looking at the opposite sex, but let's be honest, women might look, but men look at women. That's what men do. I mean, a man can be in the deepest conversation, the deepest thought, and if a woman he finds attractive walks by, he blanks out just like a squirrel does. Now, regarding this topic, this new religion has a saying, quote, you can look all you want, just don't touch. And you can look at anything you want, the bosom, the bottom, the front, the back, it doesn't matter as long as you don't touch. It actually goes even deeper. Subscribers to this idea felicitate and encourage looking. That's why these type of women dress provocatively and sexy, as the saying goes. And on the other hand, the men want their women to do this. They actually enjoy when other men look at who they are with, like they are one of their prized possessions. Now, believe it or not, I actually understand this. I used to have a a motorcycle. It was a Harley Wide Glide that was chromed out and it had a beautiful fire paint job on the side. Man, I loved that bike. And I'd probably still have it today if it wasn't for the birth of my most recent daughter. But the truth is, as much as I enjoyed riding it, the one thing that I enjoyed more than riding it was I enjoyed parking it like in a parking lot and other men would walk by and we'd all look at my bike because it was really nice to look at. And we just kind of look and they would be a little envious of me and it gave me a good feeling that, you know, that I had this and they didn't. And that's, I'm just being honest with you. But again, that was, that was a motorcycle. That wasn't a, a human being. That wasn't a human being that, that, that's my wife, for example. You kind of see where I'm going with this? Now, Islam, on the other hand, is very clear and very structured on this issue. Allah says in Quran, in English, I'll paraphrase, quote, tell the believing men to lower their gaze. And the Prophet said, quote, do not follow a glance with another, for you will be forgiven for the first, but not the second, end quote. Again, very clear and very structured. In other words, unless the woman is your wife, or you have the intention of making her your wife, And Allah knows if you're messing around with this rule. 
only then are you allowed to stare at her. And, and it's not connected to just a blank action like staring at her like a piece of meat or like a motorcycle. It's connected to marriage, something full of honor, completely different. And of course, how can we discuss the rules of looking at the opposite sex and not discuss what people are looking at? So the question now we must look at is what are this new religion's views of how men and women should dress in the public sphere? And just like the last point focused more on men, this point we're going to focus more on women. That being said, this new religion's views on public dress, as you might have guessed, are extremely loose with barely any defined lines, and the few rules that they do have are based more on situation rather than structure. For instance, let's say there's woman X, we'll call her, and woman X is at a public beach. Well, the rules say in this new religion that she can wear whatever she wants at this public beach, or rather I should say she can expose anything she wants. So if she wants to wear a very skimpy bikini, that's fine. And in some situations, she wants to be completely nude, that's fine too. But if a woman exits at her job, let's say an office job, then she can't come to work in a bikini. Rather, she should wear more clothes. But she still is highly encouraged to dress sexy at work and show off her, let's say, shape and her cleavage and perhaps her legs. And of course, you got to wear makeup and perfume, etc., etc. Or if a woman X happens to be going for a walk, let's say, at a public park, or working out at a public gym, then she's allowed, or again, I like the word encouraged, to wear the tightest top and the tightest pants ever, like yoga pants and a halter top, like she's walking around like she's Catwoman, and that's fine. This religion has no problem with that. So my point is, as you could see, that this new religion doesn't really have any clear rules or guidelines. It's more situational standards. But... The common denominator is all the same. Whether you're at the office or at the beach or at the gym, the common denominator is this new religion encourages women to be selectively naked, very provocative, and loud. And I don't mean loud with their tongues. Rather, I mean loud with their bodies. And of course, this applies to men too. Islam, on the other hand, is very opposite. It mandates very structured and clear principles and rules for dress and behavior for men and women that revolve around the idea of modesty. Now, without getting into a whole separate lecture on hijab, the easiest and quickest way for me to explain what this principle of modesty is for women is to take a piece of paper and draw two big circles. Here, let me grab a paper and I'll do it with you. Okay. All right, on my paper, I'm going to draw two circles. The left circle, I'm going to label women. Okay. The, the right circle, I'm going to label men. On the left circle, I'm drawing an X through it, so there's four sections to the women's circle. And on the men's circle, I'm going to draw a peace sign, so there's three sections to the men's circle. And just so we understand what I'm doing here, each of these circles represents the hijab, or the principles of modesty that must be upheld in the public sphere for men and women. And yes, men do have hijab. Again, hijab here doesn't mean the, the new label for hijab, in other words, a head covering. The, the proper word for head covering is khimar. But somehow it's turned into hijab over the last century. I'm not sure how. But again, hijab here is referring to what must the principles that must be upheld for men and women in the public sphere. So we'll do the woman's circle first, and I'll just go clockwise so it's really simple. The first section I write khimar. And khimar, of course, refers to a covering that covers the hair as well as the, the neck and the bosom, so no cleavage or neck can show. In the second section, I'm going to write cover body loosely with an asterisk. And the asterisk refers to accept your hands. So obviously you must cover your body with clothes. And the clothes you wear must be loose fitting. So you can't purposely show off your body. Like for example, you can't show off on purpose your top or your bottom, if you know what I'm saying. And the emphasis here is the word on purpose. Because let's be honest, some women are just built big. They have a very large top or a very large bottom. 
And as much as they tried to conceal their shape, it's it still shows. Their shape still shows. But again, they're not doing it on purpose. That's just the way they're built. All right. In the third section, I'm going to write, don't be loud with your body. In other words, when you go out in the public sphere, you can't wear clothes that purposely draw attention to you. For example, let's say a woman has a khimad and it's worn properly and the, her body, the clothes on her body is loose fitting properly, but it's bright red. And everyone else in society is not wearing bright red, and yet she is, which means even though everything else is proper, it still draws massive attention to her when she goes on the public sphere. Or a better example is everything's proper, everything's perfect as far as clothes go, but she douses herself in perfume. So when she's out in the public, massive attention is drawn to her smell just, just because she's wearing too much perfume. Um, so again, don't be loud with your body pertains to that. Okay, in the last section, to complete the four principles of modesty for women, the hijab in the public sphere, I'm going to write lower gaze. Just like I discussed this for men, of course, the rules also apply to women. They also have to lower their gaze when looking at the opposite sex. Moving on now to the men's circle. All right, first section, I'm going to write cover from your navel to your knees. Um, men at an absolute minimum in the public sphere at all times must absolutely at a bare minimum must cover from their navel, navel excuse me, to their knees. In the second section, I'm going to write loose fitting clothes. Similar to the rules for women, men also have to wear their clothes loose fitting, in particular the area from their navel to their knees. So basically can't walk outside with skinny jeans if you know what I'm saying. And finally, to complete the circle, men of course must lower their gaze to complete their principles of modesty. All right, let's continue with our comparison and move on to another topic. We looked at what men and women should do with their eyes in public, and we compared how men and women should dress in public. Let's now discuss the topic of free mixing between men and women. But this time, I'm going to reverse the comparison and discuss what Islam says first. Islam is very clear on this issue. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not allow the open and unfiltered free mixing of men and women. And just to be perfectly clear, we're not talking about the mere presence of men and women together in the same place like a market or a mosque or situations where men and women are gathered together for a goal or a task like, like, uh, like work or for purposes of education. No, what we're referring to is an occasion where unrelated women and unrelated men are mixing just to hang out, just to socialize, just to chill. This is what Islam forbid because plain and simple, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala designed the rules of society to eliminate or to greatly reduce a world where temptation and flirtation and promiscuity takes over, period. The irony though is exactly what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tried to prevent is exactly what this new religion has produced. This new religion believes in pure freedom between men and women with virtually no rules, no boundaries, just mix and flirt and talk and stare, etc, etc. Which again, from an Islamic standpoint, is horrible because the evolution of free mixing is dating, which allow me to clarify is a private meeting between a man and an unchaperoned woman. This is what Islam 100% is against. And why? Because the evolution of dating is this new hookup culture that this new religion has produced. I mean, really stop and think about what's happening today. Advocates of this new religion are using an app on their phone to barely communicate and get together with a complete stranger in private with, without chaperone with the sole purpose of some type of sexual gratification. To me, this is crazy. This is exactly what animals do, like dogs or lions. I mean, they just grunt and bark or a couple of barks and, and then, then they get together and hook up. But they're doing what they're instinctually designed to do. They don't have free will. 
We are humans. We have intellect and free will. I mean, think about it. Again, this religion is creating a generation of humans that live by instinct rather than intellect. Again, let me say that again. Instinct rather than intellect. I like that. That sounds like a t-shirt. I'm going to write that down. Instinct rather than intellect. Which brings us to our next topic. How can we discuss or reference this new hookup culture that this new religion has produced and not talk about how this new religion views sex? I will just quickly preface that the next couple of topics are definitely PG-13 or probably PG-18. So if you have any kids around listening to this, you know, I give you a little time for discretion. All right. By now, I'm sure you see a pattern with this new religion. Similar to looking and dressing and socializing, this new religion's views on sex is very open and very loose. Basically, they've boiled sex down to one word, consent. So if two adults consent to having sexual relations, then this consent makes it perfectly acceptable and normal and natural, as they would argue. So if a man or woman has multiple sexual partners outside of marriage, of course, at the same time or over a period of time, it's all good. It's perfectly fine as long as they were all consensual. Now, as far as Islam goes, Islam does view sex also as very normal and natural because, again, it is part of our nature. It is part of our instinct. But Islam says if you want to indulge in any type of sexual relations with some of the opposite sex, then that person has to be your wife or husband, period. No exceptions. Now, let's really pause for a moment and analyze what I've said so far with a quick review. Islam says you can't look at a woman like a piece of meat or a motorcycle or an object. But if your intention is honorable marriage, then you're allowed to look. And if you want to talk to a woman and get to know that woman, and you again, you have the intention of honorable marriage, then you may talk to her, no problem, but just not one-on-one -on -one where temptation and desire can take over. No, instead, you have to talk to her with the permission of her family and in the presence of her family or guardian or chaperone. It's like a, like a vetting process. And her family will make sure that you're a good, respectable person. And more importantly, they will help her to make sure that you're ready. And by ready, I mean like, uh, you know, you're going to have a job and you can prove that you can support a family. Basically, they're going to make sure that you're a man, not just some animal trying to get in their pants. And on that note, if you eventually wanted to have sexual relations with this person, then you have to give her the ultimate honor, the ultimate honor and commit to her by marrying her. You know, people that are critical of Islam have to nerve today to say that we're backwards and that we mistreat our women why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked them to cover their bodies. How dare they? How dare they when the reality is that this new religion has turned men into animals and women just into a warm place to stick it and a toy that you play with? I know this sounds crude, but really analyze it for a minute. It's the facts. So next time someone's critical of Islam in front of you, just remind them of the new reality that this new religion has created. Which brings us to the last idea we want to compare, homosexuality. Now, obviously, if you open the door to any type of sexual relations under the banner of consent like this new religion has done, then you must allow relations with the same sex too. It's just the natural evolution. So obviously, proponents of this new religion argue that homosexuality is normal and healthy and that these people should have the same rights like uh, marriage rights and adoption rights, etc. On the other hand, Islam, like all the things we've described today, is very clear about this issue. But first, it must be said that in Muslim circles, the issue of homosexuality is uh, very controversial because we currently live in a world where corrupt mafia-style governments and corrupt militias have overtaken Muslim lands. And these governments and militias, they do nothing but hunt down and execute homosexuals in the name of Islam. 
And they do this to distract the people away from the real problem, namely them. The truth is, these governments and gangs really don't care about Islam. So the result is we have quote-unquote countries like Saudi Arabia or gangs like these ISIS idiots that end up giving Islam a bad name and, and uh, muddy the water, as they say. But in general, Islam's views on homosexuality is simple. Just like how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala restricted sexual relations between a man and a woman, as we briefly discussed already, in His infinite wisdom, Allah absolutely forbid any sexual relations within the same sex, period. Islam treats homosexuality like any other desire that we are ordered by Allah to curb. For example, what if you're a man and your desire to be with several women, which by the way, if you ask any man in confidence, he would tell you he desires to be with several women. That's especially young men. That's how we are built. Now, if you live by this new religion, then go ahead, brah. Get as many women as you want. The higher the number, the cooler you are. Astaghfirullahaladzim. Islam, on the other hand, has restricted us to four women. And of course, these women have to be your wife that you must treat equally, which in my opinion is virtually impossible in today's world. So what I'm trying to say is if you're a man and you have this desire to be with several women, what does that mean if you're this person, you're a Muslim? That means you're going to have to curb your desire. Or what about a non-sexual example? What if a Muslim man or woman is studying to be a chef and they're dying to eat pork because they want to explore their full palate potential in their field? I've personally heard from my non-Muslim friends that eating soup with pork stock is amazing and that pork chops when done right are absolutely excellent. So what must this aspiring chef do? Of course, they must what? They must curb their desire. That's it, plain and simple. So back to homosexuality, if you're a person that has chemically something in his body that makes him more attracted to the same sex, which I've heard is possible. I remember in college, I took a class called Abnormal Psychology with Professor Stern. That was his name. And he lectured one day for over an hour with diagrams and notes, etc., etc., of how it's possible that a man could be born with more female hormones than, than, uh, than, than male hormones. And that would produce gay tendencies, those are his words, not mine, which would lead to him being attracted to the same sex. So basically, this professor was presenting an argument through science that it's possible to be born a homosexual. Or maybe it's the environment. Maybe it's more nurture than nature. In the sense that if you think about it, 200 years ago, before this new religion took over, if you had some, any type of same-sex desire or attraction, you had to curb it. You had to keep it inside you because there was nowhere to explore it. Whereas today, there's several ways to explore your desire, and on top of that, they're kind of encouraged to do so. Or let's just keep it simple. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's a little nature and a little nurture. But whatever the reason is, at the end of the day, we are human beings, and all human beings have a brain, and they filter their wants and their desires through that mind, through that brain, through that free will. And Allah has commanded us to exercise this free will to curb some desires in this planet, and this is one of them. All right, at this point, all I've technically done is compared this to that like a ping pong. But the title of this podcast was The Dangers of This New Religion. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to revisit each of the ideas real quick, and I'm going to show you how they're infecting us Muslims. Um, but I've been talking for like 20 minutes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a quick break, get a drink, and come right back. Assalamu alaikum. We are back. All right, and the second part of this podcast, what we're going to do now is we're going to analyze the dangers of this new religion. But first, I suppose at this point, we need to give this new religion a name. Now, some people call this new religion liberalism. Allow me to first say, though, that I'm not referring to liberalism as a political entity. For example, in the United States, they have the Liberal Party and the Conservative Party. 
Um, that's not what we're referring to here. I'm referring to liberalism as a theology, as a social philosophy, as a set of ideas, beliefs, and attitudes that shape a human's uh, actions. And that's what a religion is, by the way. If you look up the definition of a religion, one of the definitions says, quote, a personal set or institutionalized system of attitudes, beliefs, and practices. And that's exactly like Islam. Islam also has a, a system of attitudes, beliefs, and practices that we attribute to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they do not. They attribute it to themselves, to their own mind. They've invented it and evolved it over time. But nonetheless, that's what a religion is. Which brings me to the whole point of this podcast. We believe that Muslims today are swapping out their Islamic ideas and values for liberal ideas and values. In other words, they're trading in their Islam for another religion. They're trading in parts of their Islam for another religion. That's a scary sentence if you think about it. I will say though, that I think the majority of Muslims are doing this unintentionally. You do have a very small minority that are doing this on purpose, meaning they wake up every day and they say, you know what, today I'm going to swap out this idea for this idea for whatever reason. And in my opinion, based on what I read online, some of these people have already left Islam anyway. But the majority of Muslims, again, they're sincere people, but they're still being infected and they're doing this unintentionally. But it doesn't matter because the result is the same. The result, whether you're doing it on purpose or not on purpose, is you end up doing un-Islamic actions in your life. And I'll prove it. Let's revisit the five ideas we've compared today. If you're a Muslim male and you look at women, and I mean you look at everything but their face, if you know what I'm saying, then you, my friend, have been affected by liberalism. And brothers, I know it's hard. My God, women are walking around with their hair dead and makeup and perfume in public and on top of that wearing yoga pants. It's a disaster out there. And just so I'm very clear, I'm not talking about a brother that looks at a woman a little too long or looks once, twice, three times, but then instantly feels guilty afterwards. This is understandable. This is just a moment of weakness. It's still wrong. It's, it's still improper. He should have looked once and then look away and that'd be it. But I can at least understand it. No, what I'm talking about is a Muslim that stares and glares and doesn't even think twice about it at all. I mean, he lives just like the liberals and he lives by their creed. Look, but don't touch. And again, I just want to repeat, I don't think the overwhelming majority of Muslims are doing this consciously or defiantly, meaning this guy didn't just wake up one day and say, I don't know where, you know what, I know it's haram to stare at women, but I just don't care. Everyone else is doing it, so I'm going to do it. No, no, no. He's been unconsciously infected by liberalism. It's now changed his viewpoint. Or you might say, what if he's never been taught the proper rules of Islam by like his family or his community or the masjid? So in the absence of Islamic knowledge, his mind has naturally replaced the void, filled the void with this new prevailing creed of liberalism. Thus, the result is the same. And just to make you really understand my point, I'd like to share with you a personal example. In the day, I work finance and I crunch numbers all day. But in the night, I own my own martial arts academy, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to be exact. And I have a large school where the majority of my members are male, but I do have some female members. And once or twice a year, we do a big promotion ceremony where I upgrade their belts. So let's say they had a purple belt, then I give them a brown belt, etc., etc. Then after the ceremony, we usually take pictures. Everyone lines up next to the logo, and they want to take a picture with me, the instructor. That particular ceremony, I promoted seven males and one female. Um, and each of the males lined up. They stepped up to the logo where I was standing, and I kind of put my hand around them like a man hug, and we snap a photo. And then one by one, I did that. And then the last person in the line was the female, and she stepped up, I put my hand around her as well, I then snapped the photo, and then she went out about her business. Now here's the point of my story, it's not like I put my arm around her and immediately afterwards I felt guilty and like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. No, 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 I didn't even think about it. 
even the next day when my wife confronted me with a picture because she saw on my gym Facebook account, I didn't feel guilty. I even tried, initially tried to defend it. I said, what's the big deal? Why is he so mad? Etc. Etc. It wasn't until I saw my wife's tears that I realized, oh my gosh, she's right. I've done something wrong. I had no business putting my arm around another woman. And more importantly, I realized that I too have been affected by liberalism. I've unconsciously allowed it to come into my mind and change one of my values. Are you starting to see my point now? All right, new point. If you're a Muslim woman and you wear the khimar, you know, you cover your hair and your chest as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered you to do in public, but you're also wearing yoga pants or something like that, then you've been infected by liberalism. Or if you're a Muslim male and you're wearing in public these tight, quote-unquote, skinny jeans that are designed to just highlight your front and your back, if you know what I'm saying, then you've been infected too. Now again, I don't think these Muslims are purposely or defiantly trying to disobey the principles of hijab that we discussed earlier in this podcast. Or it could be they just didn't, they didn't know better. No one's ever taught them, especially in the case of men, that you also have rules and regulations in public. But the result is the same. The liberal and loose dress environment has taken over their ideas. Now it must be mentioned that there are some Muslims, thankfully they're the extreme minority and it pains me to even say this, but there are some Muslims that are doing this on purpose. They're purposely trying to undo over 1400 years of sound scholarly work and sound Islamic tradition by saying that the khimar is not a fard. And by extension they say that the hijab is not even a must for women. Personally, these people make me sick. If you're so unhappy with the rules of Islam, why don't you just leave? But no, they want to corrupt Islam as if we didn't have enough problems. But these types are deeply infected by liberalism. Which brings me to my next point. If you are a Muslim and you quote unquote hang out with members of the opposite sex, and before I say my tagline, let me be very specific, I'm talking about boys and girls going to the local Starbucks, for example, and spending time with each other and giggling and laughing and flirting. I'm talking about Muslims going to homecoming and prom, or should I say be allowed to go by their parents, which just blows my mind every time I see Muslim parents on social media posting pictures of their children going to these events. Do they not know that because of liberalism, we now live in one of the most hyper-sexualized environments like ever? Do they not know that the evolution of quote-unquote hanging out is dating, and that the evolution of dating, or perhaps I should say the goal of dating is some type of sexual gratification? I mean, that's it, especially for men. That's all men want. I mean, are you kidding me? Are we Muslims now that naive too? And on that note, let me say, if you're a Muslim, and you indulge in any type of sexual gratification with someone of the opposite sex who is not your wife or husband, which in Islam is called zina, and by the way, zina is one of the most atrocious and serious sins in Islam then I urge you and severely caution you to reevaluate your deen and reevaluate your Islamic priorities. Because if you commit zina, then you've been deeply, deeply infected by liberalism. And of course, it goes without saying, this applies to women and men. No double standards here. For some reason, our communities turn our blind eye to when a man commits zina, which is wrong in of itself. Now, why do I say deeply, deeply infected? Because zina does not happen in a void. Think of it this way. Let me give you a, a comparison. In the martial art that I practice, there's a position in which you, you sit on top of your opponent uh, like you're sitting on a horse. We call it the mount position. When I teach the defense of the mount position to my students, I always remind my students that this position means you actually got beat five moves ago. In other words, it's a domino effect. If you're already at the level of committing zina, then for sure you look at someone with no constraints. Now that value is gone or replaced. And for sure you dress inappropriately or sexy, so that value has now been ruined. And 100% obviously you mingle with the opposite sex, so that value now for sure is gone. 
So the domino effect is you can't get to the horrible level of zina without knocking down all these other values on the way there. And who knows what else is wrong with your Islamic values. Today I just scratched the surface of how liberalism is changing the Muslim mind. That's what I mean by you're deeply, deeply infected. Alright, the last point we discussed today was homosexuality. Now you might say, well that's an easy one to explain, right? Well, yes and no. From a religious sin point of view, it's easy. If you're a Muslim and you engage in any type of homosexual act, and the key word here is engage, because if the desire stays in your head or your heart, no problem, no sin. Allah doesn't even ask about it on the day of judgment. But if you engage, then take everything I just said about the Zani, the one who commits zina, and now apply it to the homosexual too. Plain and simple. But from a political standpoint, some Muslims unfortunately have made the issue of homosexuality complicated and confusing when the truth is it should not be. For example, some Muslims in the United States are so hell-bent on getting breadcrumbs from the political establishment that they've aligned themselves with homosexual and LGBTQ, I think, groups. Take, for instance, the Trump Muslim travel ban. These Muslims want to combat and speak against the travel ban, which 100%, of course they should, we all should, this travel ban is blatantly racist. But they would argue that our voice is small and weak, we're only 6 million in the US, so therefore we have to increase our political voice by aligning ourselves with other people that support our cause. As the saying goes, you scratch my back and I scratch yours. So because these people call for our rights, these Muslim types are now asking us to call for gay rights and asking us to march in LGBTQ parades and stuff like that. The irony is, when you question or press them as to why they're calling for this nonsense, they say stuff like the following, and I'll quote from one of their websites. Quote, Numerous core elements of the various LGBTQ identities and lifestyles are prohibited in Islam and are deemed by the religion to be individually and socially harmful. But at the same time, LGBTQ groups are some of the only activists in the U.S. who have consistently stood by Muslims and advocated for their rights to end quote. So again, very clearly stated, because they scratched our back, we have to of course scratch theirs. But let's think about it. Let's really analyze and think about what they're asking us to do. They're asking us to support something that we don't support. God, I'm going to say that again. Really listen carefully. You're asking me to support something that I don't support. Of course, this makes no sense. And of course, it's wrong. But more importantly, it's confusing and it's a damaging stance. For example, take me. I have three daughters, two of which are old enough to understand these kind of ideas. Imagine if they see me marching in an LGBTQ whatever parade or calling for gay rights. You don't think they're going to recognize a contradiction? You don't think it's eventually going to weaken their Islamic values on homosexuality? Of course it is. It's already happening. A recent Pew poll that was conducted in the U.S. states, I'm going to quote the report, that half of U.S. Muslims now say homosexuality should be accepted by society, up from 2011 when the poll said only 39% said this. So it's already happening. Do you see my point yet? Alright, I just looked at the clock and I realized I've been speaking for over 30 minutes, so just allow me a few minutes to wrap this up. The goal of recording this was to practically illustrate to you that the ideas that Muslims are falling prey to today, the ideas that are negatively shaping our behavior away from how Allah wanted us and ordered us to behave, did not come in a void. Our minds are being surrounded and bombarded by this quote-unquote new religion. And maybe I'm exaggerating a little by saying a new religion, but if you really analyze our comparison today, was it an exaggeration? I mean, liberalism as a creed, as a philosophy, has all the makings of a religion, except they attribute their values and ideas to the human mind, whereas we Muslims attribute our values and ideas to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But that's the point. That's what's so scary. 
we Muslims are no longer doing this. But alhamdulillah, it's never too late to repent. In the case of liberalism, it's actually easy to recognize and it's easy to undo the damage done to your Islamic values. Because in the center, all liberal ideas, and there's a ton of which we didn't discuss today, have one common denominator. They believe that the human mind by itself, on its own, can decide what is right and wrong. And what is right is anything that maximizes human freedom. And through this freedom, you will achieve happiness. So if having several sexual partners makes you happy, go for it. Or if making money through riba transactions brings a smile to your face, don't even think about it. You're free. Just do it like Nike. Of course, though, I'm being sarcastic. This is wrong. Don't go out and do these things. I also have to mention, I'm not blaming all our problems on liberalism. For instance, homosexuality has been around since the dawn of man. And committing xenophornication, again, has been around since the dawn of man. So one could argue, are you saying that homosexuality and these things came from liberalism? That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is, even though they've been around forever, liberalism has normalized these things. These things were never normal, but now they're becoming normal. That's why I believe we Muslims must go back to basics for a moment and always remember that Allah did not create us in a void. He did not create us and just dump us on this earth with no guidance. No, He gave us prophet after prophet after prophet to guide mankind. And the last of the prophets was Muhammad Islam. And through him, Allah gave mankind their final and complete message, the Quran, through which we get our guidance and rules and properly determine what is right and wrong, not our mind. But more importantly, it teaches us that the goal of life is not simply to be happy by maximizing human freedom. Rather, the goal is to earn Allah's mercy and earn acceptance into Jannah paradise through obeying Allah's rules. Just like you earn money through your job or you earn respect on the street or you earn the love of your wife, we have to earn Jannah. That's the goal of this life. And remembering this basic tenet of life is the only way to start to combat liberalism and the only way to undo or prevent the damage done to your mind or the minds of your children. That being said, I'll leave you with one final thought. When you stand before Allah on the Day of Judgment, do you want your book to be empty, confused, and full of red marks from all the sins you've racked up? Like when your teacher gave you back a paper in school and it would, all the wrong answers you rocked in red, 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 red. Or do you want your book to be vibrant, rich, and full of proper ideas and actions? In other words, what I'm trying to say is, if we Muslims continue along this path, Islam in the next few decades is going to be reduced to rituals. Just pray, maybe. Just fast during Ramadan. Just do Hajj, maybe. And kind of dress like a Muslim, maybe. But that's it. A very empty book for Allah on the Day of Judgment. Alright, I'm done talking. I truly hope you found this podcast beneficial. And if you'd like to dive deeper into this topic, I highly recommend the website called MuslimSkeptic.com. And be sure to explore IslamicLens.com for some of our other content. Or better yet, if you'd like to be notified when we put up a new post, just send us your email at the top of IslamicLens.com and we'll let you know. I thank you so much for listening. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.